Welcome to Iron Sights. This podcast candidly seeks to create opportunities and deliver impact by sharing the experiences and wisdom of successful entrepreneurs and thought leaders who unapologetically aim to win in health, fitness, business, and life. I'm your host, Scott Howell. Welcome to Old School Meets New School. Tradition meets innovation and imperfection meets excellence. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I mean, on another very personal note, you know, so I, I won Top Shot in June of 2012. And so for the first six months, I was having a blast, right? Like, you know, free guns, free ammo, you know, getting flown all across the country, you know, autograph signings. You know, I'm like, oh, it's like five minutes of fame, right? Living your best life. Yeah, well, you know, December 14th, 2012 comes around. And that date is important for me for two reasons. The first is that it's my birthday. The second is that it was the date of the Sandy Hook shooting, right? right? And, you know, here I am in San Francisco celebrating my birthday with, you know, uh, 15 friends. And, you know, it was a really dark day. And, and, you know, I remember being in this restaurant and, you know, we were in the private room, we had a whole like suckling pig coming and, you know, the, you know, the executive chef was someone who I had admired and I had asked um, hey, if the if the chef is in, like, if you could come by and like, you know, say hi, that'd be like amazing. And boy, like, I, I could feel how angry and upset he was at me. Mm. Right? The fact that because like, of your association, because of my association with firearms. And I was like, I, I don't understand what's happening right now. We're like, how come the chef is mad at me? for being a gun owner and I am disgusted just like everybody else about what just happened today. Right. And, and so I, and then I remember distinctly thinking, well, okay, wow. Like I, I, I think we're now going to start seeing people coming who want to come after come all of our guns mm-hmm. specifically, you know, my AR-15s and everyone else's AR-15s. And so I think the other like fascinating dynamic is how, right, sometimes we can have the same event happen in our lives yet have very polarized reactions to it, right? So Sandy Hook for me was the moment that turned me into a Second Amendment advocate because I understood very clearly in that moment that if I don't speak up for my own rights and everybody else's Second Amendment rights, we are going to get run over. Somebody's coming for them. We're, yep. we're exactly, I mean, literally. And like hearing a lot of these anti-gun uh, you know, advocates saying, nobody wants to take your guns. You know, you're no one, it's like, no, 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 absolutely Here we false. are. Here we are. Diane Feinstein, Michael Bloomberg, the here list we goes are. on and on, yeah. you know, Beto O'Rourke. I, I'm going to take all your AR-15s. Like, you know, I don't need to, you know, the, the quotes are all out there. They're, the video footage is out yeah, there. It's where we've arrived. But now, yeah. I, but I, I, I want to be sympathetic and understanding, like back to the like, point of rights, like, like you know, was. if if you saw Sandy Hook and you're not a gun owner or if you're anti-gun, like that's only going to reinforce either create a new negative stereotype or reinforce existing negative stereotypes about firearms and then your opinions about the inanimate objects, I think it's it's understandable, at least I can understand how then you would ascribe those negative associations to the, to person, the people. To the person, yeah. Yeah, but right, but there's this, there's this false connection of 
someone who either owns guns or supports guns is somehow violent or, or condone, condones violence like that. That's the link that is just is totally false and that needs to be challenged and, and, and debunked. This is, I mean, we have a long history of humans of being very terrible with that very concept, right? Like you've got this, uh, we just go back to uh, so many instances. I mean, go back to the world history. And if you came from this region of the world and there was war and there were, there were governments there that were oppressive and, you know, this, this country went into this country and defeated that. Then if you were from that country that had an oppressive government, now you're labeled as the enemy as that person. I mean, we're, we still do that today, like every day. I, there's, and again, the United States has a terrible history of this, right? Now, it's not to say that we haven't gotten better and tried to write those things, but to your point, if you're labeling people like that, like lab, labeling the person to the inanimate object or the thing, uh, whatever that is, the entity, uh, the religion, the whatever, the fanatic in this particular area, and all of a sudden you're associating with that. You can't just write policy and and undo all of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna be really blunt here with the, with, in, particularly in the United States. Unfortunately, and this is this is world. It's not just the U.S. It's a lot of other places. We've shit the bed in terms of policies that we've written and how we've treated people, how we've alienated certain cultures, how we've discriminated against certain people, humans, things based on based on things that, again, I, I'd like to think as humans giving people the benefit of the doubt, we do realize at some level we're wrong and we've tried to try to undo that. But the fact of the matter is, is it did get done and it doesn't just go away because you've changed the policy and you're, you know, so you're making these connections here. I think it's, this is probably a good time to actually maybe bring up the point. We, we did talk about that, you, you know, you're going to the Senate and bringing some things together in terms of once you start down this path of now you're associating this thing with this person, then that discrimination begins to happen. And you've already touched on it, you know, from the LGBT, LGBT community perspective, but there, it goes deeper than that, right? In particularly in the world of firearms in how, how these laws, how these policies that have specifically discriminated against certain cultures and certain, certain citizens or immigrants of the United States have in a sense discriminated them from owning firearms or putting them in a position to even have a voice about whether they should or they shouldn't. And I wondered if we could maybe talk a little bit about that because you kind of opened the door here um, specifically about that testimony um, to the U S Senate with regard to gun control. Um, and there were two very, very specific things that you brought up there. And I'm, I'm very interested in maybe hear a little bit more about this. One was um, had was specifically with, the Japanese internment camps that happened near and around World War II. And the other was the Chinese Exclusion Act, which happened much, much before that, right? So you, and by the way, in my research, in my knowledge, uh, and I'd like to think that I'm, I may have done a little bit deeper research in all of this before ever coming to this conversation or ever getting into a conversation about these topics that I've looked into some things and I've tried to be educate myself. I've tried to take responsibility, personal responsibility for putting myself in a position to at least have an intelligent conversation and not wipe the sake, you know, or, or not stop the conversation with some absolute statement like you were, you kind of described before, but there again, there are things that go back a long time before what you even brought up and how those things how those things have impacted and have long lasting implications specific to 
the Asian community, I want to stay, I want to stay there, but I think you draw parallels between the black community, right? I think that's, that's important. There, I think it's important to talk about and how that's impacted things now and what's going on in the Asian community specific to their second amendment rights and firearms. So I know that that was a lot that I yeah. just threw at you there, but maybe we could just start with the testimony and what that was all about. Yeah. You know, so uh, I was invited, um, you know, to testify in the U S Senate uh, judiciary committee committee. And this was the opening salvo for many gun control measures that were, uh, you know, put in front of the Senate. And, you know, uh, I've spoken out against gun control for, for the past 10 years. And, you know, for me, I was trying to think, you know, how can I make this personally, you know, compelling uh, and make the argument that gun control is discriminatory and has a history of discriminating against people in our country who could have benefited, you know, from exercising their Second Amendment rights. So, you know, talking about the African-American community, I mean, like from the inception of our country, I mean, you know, slaves did not have rights. And then even when they started to have rights, they were three fifths of a person. It's like, you know, it's been this like constant, you know, multi-century struggle, right, for, for the black community to get on par, right, with just with, be treated equally. As just to talking. be treated right. equally. And, you know, the Asian American community, like we, we've suffered similar injustices. And I think the difference, you know, between, I would say, like the black community and the Asian community is that the Asian community, we are terrible at speaking out uh, against as, as we were bringing up before. Injustices against our community. We just suck it up and deal with it. So, you know, the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, it was... Um, you know, basically this like terrible you know, moment in our country's history, which basically subjugated the Chinese to white people, right? Where there was, you know, California law, like this kind of like blew my mind. This blew my mind too. Yeah, right. Yeah. There, there are certain California laws on the books where, you know, uh, not just Chinese people, like the, back to, you know, earlier we're saying, you know, uh, Asian is not like a monolithic right, right. thing. <laughs> right. Where are you from? Right. But yeah, but there's this sort of uh, dynamic of, right. Oh, it's like hard to tell, like, oh, you know, Chinese versus a Vietnamese versus Korean. So, you know, uh, this law was, uh, there's like these laws in the books where uh, I think there's like a curfew law, right? It's like if, if a Chinese person was like out in the streets of San Francisco, like past a certain time that unless they had a white person vouch for them, then this, this, you know, the Chinese, you know, person could be at risk of, you know, being fined or jailed. Um, so, you know, that was, well, there's a long list, Chris, which I'm sure you're aware of. There's a long list of crazy business. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a long laundry list. And like, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't even begin to start learning some of this until earlier this year when, you know, the, the, the dramatic spike in hate crimes against Asian Americans was really, you know, squarely in, in focus. Right. It's arrived. Like we can't, this is not just a thing like this is not just social media, you know, pushing this. This is happening and don't be ignorant. Right? It, and so, I mean, it, yeah. So the ignorant question, the ignorant point is uh, uh, a great one to make. But it also started to make me think like, you know, I'm a product of the public school education system here. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like I did not learn any of this in school. Neither did I. Right. I was blown away. I've started to learn about it too. I'm blown away. Yeah. It's like we, and so it comes back to 
if, if, if someone and like me and other Asian Americans or non-Asian Americans right, who want to, you know, highlight actual history and make sure we're comprehensive and understanding like all the different struggles and high points and low points in our history, we need to speak up and demand that certain parts of the educational curriculum include, right, certain things. Like, I, I'm not saying, like, we need to have, like, you know, a whole course on, like, Asian American history kind of thing, but it's like, I don't really remember learning much about, I mean, I this is U.S. history, man. Yeah. It's this like, is U.S. history. I think um, Asian American history for me, like, all I remember was a little bit about the Chinese Exclusion Act, and it was, like, one of these typical test things, like, what year was it? Right. 1882. Okay, great. You know, no I, value I, yeah, right. I, I got the answer, right. You know, maybe I'll get a five on my AP test kind of thing. Um, and you know, yeah, world war two. Um, Oh, and, there, there was, there was the, the talk about the gold rush here in California and where the Chinese built the railroads. The, the, sort the, of the, exactly. Yeah. You know, where the, and it, it was all centered around labor, mm-hmm. which effectively, you know, in the end, is slave labor when you start to break it down you start to look at kind of how these things were, were handled now that could be a controversial statement i don't really fucking care but it is what it is that's what was happening you said the f yeah i know i just, i love that word actually i say it a lot <laughs> i mean it's, it's a couple of things like there was the, going back to your your you know you, you brought this up brought this up about having to be vouched for by a white person here's a couple other ones that i that i, I recently became aware of 1921, there was legislation directed at not allowing Chinese women to marry American citizens. Like, so if you were here and you got here, which is a whole other, whole other thing, you, you could not wear, uh, uh, marry an American citizen. In 1924, this is not too far later, they went one step further, they meaning legislators, and they forbade Chinese women from entering the country with their husbands and their children. So it was okay for their husbands to come over and labor you know, with whatever, whether it's building railroads or in, in industry, but they weren't allowed to come. The women weren't allowed to come. Then in 1932, this is only a few years later, we're still, we're still turning the, the screws on this whole thing. And the Cable Act of 1932 says, stated that American-born Asians, that married foreign-born Asians would lose their citizenship. So if you were born here as an Asian-American, right, but then you married someone that had immigrated here from Asia, you would lose your citizenship as a female and you could regain your citizenship, but you'd have to go through the naturalization yeah, process wow. as, as if you are now not an American citizen because you've met, you've married an, an immigrant who's not an American citizen. You've just lost your Americanism. If you will, it's gone. Uh, it's a wild mind blowing shit. And by the way, 1930s wasn't that long ago. I mean, the list goes on, but yeah, you know, when, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that my husband and I, we bought a property in, in Santa Cruz and as we were going through uh, the whole escrow process and I'm looking through the deed the and all the history of it, there is, you know, and this is something that I've learned over the past few months. There is a lot of racism in the real estate, uh, kind of laws in our country. So in the deed to our property, there's a specific provision that says this property cannot be sold to any Negro or anyone. Literally, that's the words. Negro. Right? They say you, 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 I'm, you, I'm laughing. It's disgusting, but I, yeah. it's it's mind blowing, man. It's like this this property cannot be sold to any Negro or anyone of the Asiatic or Mongoloid race. And I I was just like I don't understand like, and this is from back on like 1950 or whatever. But I'm just like, 
is nobody's bothered to go back and change this and this, all the transactions. This is a whole other thing. So we'll okay. get into that really in a second. So, you know, I, I, I flagged this for our, my real estate broker. I'm like, hey, hey Gloria, like, hey, this up? is what, what am I reading right now? And like, and thankfully they're just like, yeah, there's a national law that got passed in like 1960s, whatever. And like, yeah, yeah. It's like all this local racist uh, language and in, in, in real estate deeds. It's, it's unforceable. It's invalid. But it's still there, nonetheless. It's still there. So yeah, the, the the sub story here is it is incredibly hard to update, to undo or erase like, you know, past things that are in real estate deeds. Crazy. So yeah, I mean- so, be- so you make this policy and you go, okay, well, we'll undo that policy. But you really haven't because it's still there. Now, maybe you're not enforcing that policy, but it's still there. And, you know, I, I, I'm- it's interesting because I I subscribe to the attitude that we shouldn't be erasing history, right? So on Me some too. so on some level, it's like right, it's like no, we shouldn't like burn the books. We right, we 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 sometimes, and I think most times, need to face the ugliness of the past, it. present, and the future. Just that's what you're yeah. saying about the history books. Like I'm not saying we burn the history books, but I was never taught this. It was never in the it was never even acknowledged. Mm-hmm. You know, the stuff was never acknowledged. Like erasing and acknowledging are two very different things, obviously. And acknowledging and saying we shouldn't let this happen again, right? And we need to do a better job of recognizing that it did happen and we need to think forward on how we prevent this from happening and be aware of how that how the fact that it did happen. And while it has been done, we're trying to make it better. doesn't mean it's completely fixed. Yeah. I mean, but this is also how history repeats itself, self. right? If, if we it does repeat itself. Yeah. And so the example to provide, right? So part of my Senate testimony was talking about 120,000 innocent Japanese Americans who were thrown into internment camps in World War II were stripped of all of their civil rights as American citizens. And I'm half Japanese, so I'm I'm half Chinese and half Japanese. There's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I don't have time to get into this today, uh, but I'm I'm part Cuban. The Japanese side of my family is from Cuba. My Japanese ancestors were put into Cuban internment camps at the behest of the American government. And that's another, I think, lesser known story is that the American government was encouraging other countries to intern their own Japanese because, right, this whole hysteria, right, that just because you are ethnically Japanese, that somehow you were elite, you know, you pledged your allegiance to, to, to Japan. I mean, this is absolutely crazy. And, and so, you know, I, in my Senate testimony, I talked about how, you know, gun control has been used to discriminate against innocent people. And, you know, if we then fast forward to 9-11, when 9-11 happened, my first reaction was, oh my God, there are people who are going to start going after Muslim Americans. Mm-hmm. This was back to the, back to the point of the Sandy Hook, the restaurant, the chef, right? And are we really going to start sacrificing our civil rights and our civil liberties and our fourth amendment rights or against having the government, you know, monitoring innocent American citizens under the guise of right. Of public national se- safety, national right. security and right. public safety. And it's like, like, right. It's just, it's sort of like this whole conversation all over again. Um, but you know, back, back to, back to, you know, the Japanese internment, 
camps. You know, December 7th is, you know, was, was, you know, the day of Pearl Harbor. We just, you know, celebrated the 80th anniversary of uh, the Pearl Harbor attacks. And to be frank, like, you know, there was a part of me was like, Oh man, you know, I know there's a lot of Americans who still think that like the Japanese are the enemy. I mean, I understand like how you would have maybe that mentality, but it's like, I really do not want to hear any of this on like December 7th. Like, cause it's for me, like I, I'm a, I'm a respectful person who, who honors the, the, the solemnness of what happened. And it's, it's, it's for me, it's about honoring those who made sacrifices to protect our country. And yeah, I'm an Asian American. And I think there's this weird kind of thing with words that we do. It's like, well, I'm Asian American, but I'm American first. Mm -hmm. But I, but we always put like the uh, racial. Yeah. It's like I'm African American or Latino American or Mexican American or Chinese American. But it's almost like, should we like, you know, reverse that? Because, you know, uh, for me, I'm American first, but again, now it's like, well, I'm these other, other things too. Um, but, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think sometimes it can be very uneasy to be a minority in general, you know, and this is in any country, but I think, you know, even, you know, here in the United States, it's like, well, you know, if, and this just goes back to, Hey, you know, if, if I want to live in a free country where I'm not afraid and I don't want other people to be afraid, then I have to not just have you know, I, I, I need to speak up and then my actions need to follow my mm-hmm. words. It's just as simple as that for me. So you've got the, again, going back to this testimony that you're giving, you're, you're talking about these two very specific things. Again, going back to the Chinese Exclusion Act, the Japanese internment camps, and the discriminatory impacts that that has. Not only are you talking about, in general, a culture that is, ha- is and has been rather quiet, right about the injustices or maybe the things that are happening around around them just do the work right just don't pay attention to that over there we have things to do to further silencing that right in a in an attempt to under the guise of national security these people are potentially dangerous to us because yeah right and so for right back to the context of gun control and how discriminatory it is against law-abiding and responsible gun owners right so this is the connective thread right that our government has this constant notion that if we ban a thing it makes things or if we control some group of people that we're somehow going to make the country safer i mean what's the historical result of that it, 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 it's it, the opposite it's, actually it's the opposite yeah. it's it's the thing that is the forbidden fruit is the thing that everybody wants right. we've seen you know in, in in the gun community right we often joke that the anti-gun groups are the best sales yeah, absolutely people. they get sales per person of the year for 2020 it's, and it's, 2021 it's absolutely crazy you're in the it, gun business right now you are Fat and happy. Yeah, every time an anti-gun politician opens their mouth, like gun sales and ammunition sales just like go through the roof. And, um, you know, we can look at prohibition, right? Back in the 1920s, right. it's literally the exact same thing. It's like, look, if you can easily make the thing at home, you can't ban it. Yeah, where there's a will, there's a way. 
It's like drugs too, right? The war on drugs. You ban drugs. It's Throw like, more money at it. That'll yeah, fix the problem. I mean, right, more which, legislation. That'll fix the problem. Yeah. Like where are, where have we gotten over the 40 some years of the quote war on drugs? Like I get it. Like, you know, drugs are terrible. Like some drugs are terrible. Like meth is like, you know, just like wrecking our country, but like to ban it, it's like, you know, it, it's, it's sort of back to this, like ta- the, the taboo of, being afraid of talking about drugs or talking about mental health. It, 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 you know, people do drugs, right, for so many reasons, like self-medication reasons or self-hating or just escapism. But if you really, if we really want to help, uh, you know, drug addicts and help people get off of drugs, well, we need to help make them, you know, we, we shouldn't be criminalizing the yeah, usage. They're not a, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's things that come along with that. You should often, you're buying it from somewhere, right? Well, here's chase the money, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. go, go after the money. Where's the problem, right? Like, why are they doing this on the, on the drug side of things? But yeah. You, you're, you're criminalizing the person that has an issue, right? Like how's that, how's that working for us? Well, we filled up our prisons with a bunch of people that had issues that had drug addiction. How did that, how did that hurt or stop the drug? drug trade or yeah. the drug industry. It, all they all all they did was they just got more innovative, right? Mm-hmm. And continue to make more money. Yeah. So you know, I'm I this notion of uh, right legislators passing laws to ban things like, you know, uh, I think it was right did, was it Bloomberg when he was mayor of New York City that had the soda ban, right? You can't buy sodas yeah. in larger quantities like, you know, 128, you know, ounce big gulps were like banned. It's like, you know what happens that people are just going to buy 264 ounces right. of for the soda. Away. It's like, you know, ban- banning smoking, banning all these all these things like, you know, uh, one thing that I've come to really appreciate in our country is, you know, we, we have a history of pushing back against tyrannical rule, right? This, this notion that the government or, right, some, some, you know, uh, you know, elected official or body, like trying to like tell us what to do is something that that's how our country was founded. That's how we started, man. That's how this country was founded. And that's like, that's a very unique dynamic about the United States and, you know, whether we're, you know, right, whether we're talking about, you know, the COVID mask mandates and vaccinations or firearms or, you know, alcohol or all these things, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, when it back to guns, right? Everybody, I think often loves to point to other countries and their quote unquote successes, you know, right. Uh, banning guns. Banning guns. Yep. And, and it's like, look, everybody, the reality is we have 340 million people in this country and an estimated, you know, almost 300 million. I've heard, I think upwards of almost 400 million guns. Um, they're not going anywhere. They're not going away. They're not going that ship anywhere. Has sailed. Yeah. So ban- this whole conversation about banning anything is it, it, it's a fruitless exercise. It's a circular conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Primarily because back to, Back to the main point of firearms are not complicated pieces of plastic and metal. There has been a long-standing American tradition of making fire homes in your home. Right. Like, like it's you can literally go to Home Depot right now. Recoil actually has like great, you know, basically the home home gun guide. Like you just literally go to Home Depot 
and uh, you can make you can make firearms. But, and- it, it, but what about the arguments? Well, that's the problem, Chris. That's the problem. You know, people are now making these guns at home, and they can just go out and do it. That's why we need to ban them. Well, yeah, there, right. So if you then look at three D printing technology, right. right? So you know, six years ago when three D printers were starting to become a little more popular, I mean, now I have a lot of friends who started you know experiment with. Right. Making polymer, uh, you know, frames and pistols. And I mean, oh, there's some scary stuff like, you know, no thanks. Not for me. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) I don't want to be pulling the trigger on some like questionable plastic gun kind of thing. But over the past six years, I mean, the technology has gotten so much better. Like it always does. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's this it's this question of if you think about the Second Amendment and also just, you know, in general with all of our amendments. And there's always this question of like, you know, what was the intent of the founding fathers when they wrote the Bill of Rights? Mm-hmm. Now, kind of back to the attitude and the approach that I, 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 I try and consistently take with civil rights and our Bill of Rights is where, you know, with the First Amendment, for example, right, for, for, for free speech, you know, the, the founders did not have the Internet much and mobile yeah. devices in mind, right? right? And it's just like, right, the musket of 1776 was the weapon uh, sort of of choice back then. That the was AR- the technology. Yeah. yeah, and it's like semi-automatic, you know, and fully automatic weapons didn't exist. So it's like, well, look, like the AR-15 is the modern musket. Sure. And the the, the our civil rights mature right as society and our technologies progress over time and right back to the fourth amendment conversation that we're having about illegal search and seizure like that was not really intent initially intended for like digital surveillance but of course like well it's got to evolve it's got to evolve and so you know where is the line that we need to draw between preserving our freedom and our civil liberties and yes like balancing that with with public safety, individual safety. And it's, I mean, this is, this is going to be, it, it's it'll an be never, yeah, it's it'll an be, ongoing conversation. And, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Right. Right. That, that's what it's supposed to be. Right. The, the our, ongoing conversation. Yeah, our constitution is a living, breathing document that is, is always going to be up for debate. And back to the silence is compliance. Like that was kind of a, one other thrust of my U S Senate testimony is look like, if you don't speak up about this as a gun owner, then you are complicit and you are compliant with all of these gun control measures that are mm-hmm. going to come and just, you know, step on. It's, 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 it's the knee on your neck. It's, it's the jackbooted thugs of right, the government who are going to come and, and, and take your guns because that has been the stated goal for no many, secret. many of the top yeah. anti-gun advocates out there. This, this isn't happening in the dark at night when everybody's sleeping. This is happening right there in front of your face, and they're very confident in talking about it. So it's it's right out there, and all the things that have happened in this last year, and you can you can be angry about it. Go ahead, be angry about it, but what, what are you doing? What are you doing that's practical, right? And what are you doing to help? And at, at the same time, if you don't know how to do that, then maybe search for somebody or a community that can help you maybe articulate that a little bit better. You know, you don't, and at the same time, you don't feel like you have to take it, take on the world by yourself. And that brings us back to the NFT and, you know, kind of in, in your, I'm going to say a crusade, right. Uh, along the way here of building community, right. A building community around the ongoing conversation to, to where we can get people in the room of differing, differing backgrounds, different beliefs, different levels of awareness, knowledge, their own stories, right? Their own feelings, right? When we start to bring that stuff in 
and they can have a, have the ongoing conversation rather and know that they're they're going to disagree at the end of the day on some things but come to some level of agreement on how to continue to have the conversation going forward being the first step and not making these absolute statements about well we're going we have to ban this or we have to take this away or no you can't do anything about this because this is my right and this is what the second amendment says again being a living breathing document and always up for debate i'm not saying that it doesn't it says anything other than it says i'm just saying like hey we have to recognize these things and that people are going to have different differing opinions and we need the right kind of people having those conversations or representing and if you're not that right kind of person, then maybe search out some people that you can you can align yourself with that are in a healthy way. And, you know, things have changed. Things have evolved. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this one up. Like the NRA used to be a very bipartisan, you know, organization that represented all walks of life on all sides and all different interests and tried to bring things together. And it was very much about, uh, about educating people on safety, right, and on uh proper handling and where this fits in, where, where all this fits in. And now it, there's a lot of people, a lot, me, I, that doesn't rep what they're saying and what's going on through the NRA doesn't necessarily represent what I'm thinking. So, and those are the, those right now have been the voice the, the, that, that, that entity has the, has the, the money, you know, they, they do have the politicians ears. And if they're not giving the message that you want them to give, then you have to, you have to stand up. You have to make, you have to make some kind of a statement. You you have to figure out a way to collectively get together. And this this starts inside the gun community. Stop talking shit about your fellow gun owners, like and all the things that they're doing wrong. Come together. Like there's we're all we're, we all have again we all have our, our our own our own ways of approaching things. We all have our own feelings about things. Our own beliefs. We all came from different backgrounds and how we got here. Just because I didn't serve in the military doesn't mean I don't have something to say about my Second Amendment right or that I can't handle this conversation in this way. You don't get because you're other, right? You don't get more weight in this conversation than than say somebody over here on the on on this side does because of your your background, unless. You can represent me in a way where I'm giving you that weight. I'm giving you that that agency to do so. So I think again, coming all the way back, and this is you know just kind of circling all the way back around to the NFT, the artwork, right? Your your history, the work that you you're doing inside the community and at large, right? To bring more of an awareness in this education, where where where. Where can the NFT fit into bringing the conversation together so that we're not talking about, it's not so polarized as like, it's my second member right and you can't do anything about it, period, end of story, or to, and the other side being, we're taking the guns away. Mm -hmm. That's just the way it's going to be. How can that technology bring us together? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's this potential, we're, we're seeing communities of NFT collectors, right, form around, right, firearms, cars, right. games, right? It's like, it's, 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 it's a new technology that's facilitating bringing together, right? People with common interests. And so um, there's some very interesting opportunities, right? Around collector's cards, around art, firearms, right? right. Art, mm -hmm. firearms within games, you know, NFT. Oh, it's huge. I mean, the gaming community games. in the, in the firearms community is massive. Yeah. yeah. And there's this opportunity for training and advocacy groups. So training groups and advocacy groups like the NRA, 
Firearms Policy Coalition, Gun Owners of America, National Shooting Sports Foundation. So, you know, one idea with NFTs is, you know, every time there's uh, some kind of, uh, uh, you know, anti-gun legislation that comes up and these advocacy groups need to raise funds, right, to fight these gun control initiatives. One idea that I've been talking about with the industry is, okay, if you can imagine, so let's say there's some bill, okay, so HR8, right, is is one of these uh, anti-gun bills. If, if, if one of mm-hmm. these groups wanted to raise money to fight HR8, if somebody donates $5, Right, to fight the uh, right to fight this legislation, they could uh, receive an NFT, mm-hmm. right? And it's literally just think of it as a digital patch or a like, coin, a, member, like a membership card, a membership card that authenticates your donation and support, support. or against of this thing, whatever mm-hmm. whatever the stance is. Now, the other dynamic with NFTs is this concept of peacocking, as I like to yeah, call it, right? Yeah. It's like, and peacocking is everybody wants to show off their, their pretty their NFTs, feathers. Yeah, they, right? To the extent yeah. that they even use it like as their, their image profile, right? On their social account or something like that, right? Yeah. Right. So, you know, everyone wants to show off, you know, whatever, the new gun you have, the fancy car, you know, your house, your wedding this ring, or whatever. Very human, right? So, right yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, NFTs are the digital version of, of peacocking, right? That you can say, I own this thing. And um, I think NFTs that are, that the highlight things that you have supported is, is this, there's something, I think there's something there, right? And over, to, if you can imagine them, if you have a Pinterest type board, right? That, um, uh, a, a Pinterest type board that you can put all of your NFTs, mm-hmm. right. To say like, Oh, right. Here are all the things, all the I, things, right. Yeah. Like this is a new way for advocates, uh, and advocacy groups to really show the support that exists, right. For, for, for their groups. And this is like, this extends beyond the firearms, right, sure. you know, industry and community, but, um, yeah, I, I am, uh, you know, advocating for, for at least this, Experimentation, exploration, yeah, exploration yeah. experimentation of this concept. So yeah, we'll we'll see where we'll that see where, where that goes. goes. Yeah. I, again, uh, for a lot of people are going, yeah, I still don't get it, Chris. And, and well, yeah, yeah. So 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 to that point, you know, uh, I really want to move this, you know, this conversation from a show not tell. Right, right. We can talk. I can talk about this all day oh, long. That's great. I love that. Right, yeah, and I love and that. and I I understand how confusing this is. But the un, the big unlock moment for me, and I think for most people, is when you see it. Right, you when you actually can do something with this. And back to the NBA example, man. When I saw NBA Top Shots, you know, mar- NFT marketplace earlier this year, I was like, "That's I it. get it. Yeah, I get it." And it's like it's the same thing, like. Once you shoot a gun for the first time in your life and you realize that it doesn't make you evil, let me tell a per- quick personal story really quick. So let's see, this is like 2014. Uh, I'm at the Richmond Rod and Gun Club in Richmond, mm-hmm. California, mm-hmm. which is my home range, and I am training a new shooter. I brought a Ruger 1022, my Glock 34 competition by Salient Arms. It's like totally like super, super like amazing pistol. Sounds sexy. My Benelli M2, you know, competition shotgun and my competition AR, AR 15. We're shooting all the guns and uh, we end with the AR and she wanted to shoot. I asked her ahead of time, like, hey, you know, what kind of guns would you like me to bring for this training session? Mm -hmm. And 
you know, she fires a few rounds from the AR and like I do with most of my students, I'll, you know, I put the gun on safe, put the gun down. And then I always ask, how did that feel? Just like, you know, hear what the student has to say. And usually the response is, that was awesome, or that was a little scary, or sometimes it's meh, you know, sometimes like it just, or whatever, right? For whatever reason, like they just don't, don't like the AR-15, it's too loud or whatever. But her response to me was eye-opening because it gave me a particular insight into I think what is a common misperception of non-gun owners or non-people uh, uh, who haven't shot before. So she goes, wow, you know, when I picked up the AR-15, I was expecting to feel evil. Mm. And she said, I was surprised that I was, I was shooting the gun that I didn't feel the urge to hurt people or to go do violent things. Wow. Wow. And I was like, okay. I'm like, well, now you know this is this is how mm. that's not how guns work. Right. And that's not how guns work. And so right, once you again, right, once once you've pulled the trigger, once you've met a gay person, once you've <laughs> right, like <laughs> once you've experienced, you know, what buying an NFT is all about. It's like once you do the thing and 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 actually like understand what it's what it's about is like we all I think learn best by doing. Yep. I mean of course talking about it and you know hearing lectures and reading like all important but like once you do it or or meet the subjects, right? Whether it's like Asian people, gay people or whatever, you know, women, ah, all the thing, all, all the boxes. Right? It's like, and man, like at the end of the day, like everyone, we're all just, we're all just here trying to live a good life, a happy life, trying, you know, just, just be happy. Like that's, I think, uh, or maybe in my mind, that's what I would like to think. Right. I mean, that's, that's the world that I want to live in. There's a lot of distractions though, man. People can get really hung up. And I think that's the thing, you know, mm -hmm. people are very distracted and they don't take the time to focus, on, focus on that. You mm -hmm. know, we mentioned the social media thing and the, and the, and the technology and how it can be bad versus getting outside and training, right? Like get outside and train, put the phone down or, or, yeah. and, 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 you know, get in, Find an instructor. Try new things. Yes, it might be scary. You might hate it. Okay. I, I have always done things in my life that I want to do that bring me joy. That um, that that either either yeah, or just like pure entertainment, yeah. or or they do some good. But you know, I think we all have, and we've also like faced these moments where right, we we don't do something because we don't want to be ridiculed or we don't want to be judged yeah. or stigmatized for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in the gay community, for example, right. It's like, there are not a lot of gun owners right, in the gay community. Now, don't get me wrong. There, there are, but there, there also aren't right. And especially here in San Francisco, a lot of my gay friends are anti-gun. Now I could have let myself be like, you know what? We're not going to be friends. We're not going to be friends. <laughs> right? just be like, we just, we just like, have, there's too many differences. No, there's like one difference. We, yeah. you don't like guns and I do, but I'm really thankful for my gay friends who disagree with yeah. me on all my second amendment gun stuff. And we're still great friends, right? right? Like we, we all, you know, love each other as friends that we're not going to let a, you know, a, a, a political or like policy difference, uh, get in the way of our friendship. Right. And, um, and, and, and I guess like 
this is all kind of, I think, reinforces a you know common thing, theme of our conversation today, which is everybody, like, we should just be doing the things that we want to do. And I mean, I know it's hard because we're all trying to live up to like either our own expectations, our family's expectations, right. society's expectations, right? Oh, Asian people are, you know, supposed to be this way. Gay people are supposed to be that way. Gunners are supposed to be this or that. Non-gunners like, are supposed to be this way, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't know. I just, I just always keep on coming back to some very basic principles of be kind, be nice, be considerate, and be empathetic. And if I, and I hope, you know, and others, right, can kind of just like try and have that as the center foundation for everything else, then, you know, I don't know, like life can be a little bit more pleasurable and a little more fun. And again, it doesn't mean like you have to agree with everybody, right. but it also means like, you don't have to get like so fired up and like offended and you know, flying off the handle. It's really, about, like, it's really easy to get caught in that loop. You yeah. Know, once you're there. I, I mean, I think that's an, Chris, I could talk to you all day about this stuff. I mean, you, you, you there's, I love what you're doing. I love how you're doing it. Uh, the messaging, and it's not just because, again, I'm a firm believer in my Second Amendment rights. Again, the technology piece is fascinating, how, you're, how you've gone and experimented. It's been, I don't know if the term is, it's, is brave, but it's, you know, you're doing more than a lot of people are doing. And, I like you know? to just say it's, it's like, I, I don't have, I, it's no fear. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I just, I just, I. You know, yeah. So to, if you don't know fear, you don't know bravery. It just is, right? You just go. Oh, I gotta go try this, right? Like I gotta. Yeah, and yeah. I guess like you know, I, I I grew up in a you know, well, I was gonna say I grew up in a stereotypical Asian like you know family, but like you know, my parents actually were, were they did not push me very hard in sort of like the tiger mom way. If you might have heard like the whole like tiger mom oh, uh, yeah. stereotype thrown oh. around. Um, my parents actually like, gave me. Um, a lot of freedom and flexibility to do what I wanted to do. And I think they always acknowledge that like, I'm just a very strong willed person. And the, the, <laughs> the best way to motivate me to do something is to tell no, me I can't, can't do, do it. it. There's so many of us just like that. Right. Man. And yeah. so my parents always sort of knew, Oh, you know, if, if they just, should, they just sort of need to support supportive. Me. They just need to support me and I'm just going to like go do the things that I want to do. Um, that bring again, all right. That does make me happy and, and, you know, try and do as much, you know, good out there. And, um, you know, the, the last thing I kind of wanted to make sure we, we talk about is, you know, if, uh, earlier this week, I've been part of this group called convergence and it's been a year long's worth of dialogue around firearms, um, you know, fire, just the firearms culture. And at a high level, right, this convergence nonprofit, they, they've brought together, you know, gun rights advocates like me, National Shooting Sports Foundation, uh, one of my friends' nonprofits called Walk the Talk America, mm. which is all about taking a mental health approach, right, to firearms ownership and firearm safety. But then we're also at the table with gun control groups. Mm. We also were with faith-based practitioners, mental health practitioners, the medical community, and we all came together to talk about, okay, right, the, the whole public debate about firearms, it, it's, it's all devolved 
into kids throwing sand at each other in the sandbox. And it's a pretty good analogy, man. And some of that is just, it's, it's, it's just, I don't want to call it necessary, but it is what it is. But is there a third way, if you will, like a different way, a different kind of conversation that we can have around reducing the amount of deaths, you know, by firearms and firearms in our country. And so, you know, we, we quickly acknowledged, right, that we have various positions on assault weapons and magazine capacity restrictions and red flag laws. And the, the results of our year-long discussions were just announced. You know, the two focuses that we all agreed were areas of, uh, of alignment, which are suicide prevention and mental health. Right. So many of us in the, in the, in the, in the gun community, right. When there's like a mass shooting or some like terrible shooting, like all the recent ones that have happened, right. We, we often point to, well, if we just focus on mental health, right. And understand what are the conditions that led how to, how did we get here? Yeah. yeah. Or not we, but like, how did this, right. how did this shooter, right. Get to a place where, you know, he, well, I was gonna say he or she, it's almost always a he right. whole nother, like, that's a whole dynamic. other, that's a whole other story. Yeah. Right. But, where did our society fail, right, on, from like a mental health or a community support mm-hmm. um, kind of dynamic? And what can we do about it, right? Because it's unsustainable for us to continue to say, let's focus on mental health when we actually like, we're not doing, we're not doing it, we're not doing right? Anything. So in fact, we're, we're taking funds, we're taking things away from it. We're not putting in. Yeah. So, you know, back to the sort of, I mean, back to the no fear attitude and mentality. It's like, you know, it, it, it's not just an American thing. I think just generally in society, there is um, a negative stereotype around people talking about, right? They're, they're the demons, right? There's definitely a stigma that there. we all have, right? Yep. It's like, yeah, like, hey, if you're going through a tough time, don't talk about it. Especially if you're a man. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, for, for a lot of men, right, we are taught to not talk about our emotions if we're uh, going through a tough time. It's like, suck you know, it up, dude. Suck it up, or you bury yourself in alcohol, you bury yourself oh. in your work. Oh, it's all kinds of things. It's all kinds of self destructive behaviors, man. And, and, you know, I mean, for most of society, like, well, that bottling up doesn't, I don't, well, I don't know, like, this is where the, the numbers are a little interesting that I don't, I mean, I'm not a professional or an expert on the numbers here, but like, you know, a percentage of people, right, who are, have, who have mental health issues, you know, are, right, committing crimes. Now, I also do want to, like, very explicitly say that just because you have mental health doesn't issues. Doesn't mean you're a criminal. Does not mean that you're a criminal. Does not mean that you are more inclined to become a criminal. I appreciate right you saying that. Yeah. Hopefully people have gotten from this conversation that you wouldn't, but I, get, I appreciate yeah, yeah. the disclaimer. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and, and so, I mean, like, crime is sort of like one slice of sort of like this mental health puzzle, if you will. Um, and, and at a high level, it's it's how do we make sure that people who want mental health support and services, number one, can access, have access to have them. Access, yes. Number two, that it's affordable, whatever that means, you know, for a particular person, but right, that, that money shouldn't, be a barrier, right, to accessing mental health services. But then from a cultural perspective. It also needs to be effective, man, because we've thrown a lot of shit at the wall and it, it's not working. Yeah. So we have to do things differently. So, yeah, I mean, right, to, to, to drill down into the mental health and, and suicide prevention dynamics here. So you're right, we, it was great 
to have mental health and, and medical professionals as part of this convergence group. Because, you know, we were talking about when you go to the doctor's office and you fill out your typical medical intake form, right? Oh, you know, are you a smoker? You know, mm-hmm. do you drink? History of heart disease. Yeah, yeah all, all that stuff. stuff. Well, you know, some some offices, uh, you know, therapists and psychiatrists, et cetera, part of the intake form is, do you own a firearm? Or is a firearm in your home? It's true. Mm-hmm. Now, I flagged, I and others, you know, flagged that question in an intake form as extremely problematic because, you know, if, if, if you are going, you know, for like mental health support and all of a sudden you're like, why am I being asked if I have a gun? Because then the implication is, well, wait, is this therapist or medical professional now going to think that I'm here because I'm going to hurt myself? Am I being red flagged for some Yeah, reason? am I going to be red flagged, right? For yeah. something that's like, no, I, maybe you're just depressed. doesn't right. mean you're like suicidal. Like right. you're going to go out and like hurt somebody. I have depression and yes, I happen to own a firearm. Right. Those are two very different things. So yeah, we were, so it was interesting because, you know, we were highlighting for the medical community. It's like, you know, the whole idea of, of an intake form is to create a risk profile. Mm-hmm. And it's a, and I, 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 I pushed this uh, narrative that it's lazy. It is a, it's, it's a lazy shortcut for the medical community to create a risk profile on an intake form where it's just checking boxes like yes or no, or like scales of one to five. It's, it's like, a way to spend less time in collecting important information. Right. So, you know, some of the uh, mental health specialists were saying, yeah, you know, I mean, like sort of the quote unquote, like uh, better way of creating that risk profile is like they need to get to know the patient, like on an individual right. level. Not 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 in for two minutes and out and yeah. then prescribe a medication to, for depressive behavior. Yeah. And so, right, if, if uh, the questions asked around like, hey, have you ever thought of hurting yourself or other people? Now, if the answer is yes. Okay. Yeah. Now you can start going down into like, there's another questionnaire for that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, but to put to front load Mm. a firearms related question on a medical intake form, um, can be very off putting. Right. And, and, and that can make people walk away or withhold, withhold, walk away from right. A whole right. Mm. Uh, mental, uh, health, uh, you know, experience. Um, and, and that's not what we want, right? And so there were a lot of great conversations around wow. like literally like digging into the whole experience um, from multiple angles. And so another, you know, really memorable experience for me was my, I had, so you're right, these, these were group Zoom conversations, you know, 15 to 20 participants every month, sometimes for three hours. Like these were like very long um, and like personal and like detailed conversations. But all, uh, many of us had sidebars. Like, so I had, you know, just like one-on-one phone calls and one-on-one, you know, video conferences with some participants. And so I met with one of the faith, faith-based practitioners and she's a pastor um, and she's anti-gun. And she made some comments in the group, you know, uh, conversations around like, you know, she was vehemently anti-gun and she's like, I don't want to go into like why, uh, but she's like, anybody who wants to hear, like, let me know. And like, she will I'll tell, the story. tell it in private. And so she told me her story and it's, it was just horrible what she went through. So long story short, you know, when she was a young girl, she was like six years old and she had an older sister who was like nine or 10. 
they were at, they were at dinner one night and their parent like the, they were having some kind of family argument. Her father just angrily storms out of the room, comes back with a loaded revolver, puts it down on the table, and to his wife he says, "You should just shoot yourself right now." That's and as a, and as a little as a little kid, right? Whoa! Like you see something like that? I mean, like that would scare the shit out of me. Damn that guy! Right? Jeez. And so then, and then she had another really negative experience with firearms, where she was basically an innocent bystander in in an active shooting situation. Um, <laughs> well, it's, I, yeah, you. you that's a tough conversation it's, to have. Man. Yeah. It's a really tough conversation it, to have. And, and so I kind of like back to the notion of like, you know, all of us, I think trying to, to understand sensitive. where mm-hmm. people are coming from and sort of, you know, meet them. There's this common saying of like, meet someone halfway. Yeah. I, I actually like the approach of you got to meet someone where they, they are. are. Exactly. Right? Meet someone where they yep. are. Um, and you know, this wasn't a time like, I'm not talking about like gun control. So I'm just like, I just want to understand. Yeah. yeah. So and just like the intake form, like put the intake form away and just, yeah, let's, let's get caught up. Catch me up. And so, right. The, the interesting part about, you know, my conversation with her is she told me, you know, she has zero positive exactly. constructs or experience of, of, of guns and gun owners. Right. It's like me and the other gun people in this group You're were sort her of dad. You're, you're, you're her dad. Yeah. yeah like she, well, yeah, she, she just sort of, um, viscerally and emotionally is afraid of guns and gun owners. And mm-hmm. I think for very understandable reasons, mm-hmm. but this convergence talk was good because right. She now has some positive, um, right. Re- relatable people. Right? right. It's like, and it's like, okay, like, like, like I, now she's maybe a little bit more open to the conversation mm-hmm. and, yeah. You know, she's a she's a pastor, so right. She's talking to right her her congregation um, about all right all all the societal issues, and you know she's, she's influencer too. She's yeah, huge influencer. And I think one thing I um you know I, I grew up Catholic. Um, I haven't been part of the church though in you know many many decades, but I understand the influence right that faith faith based practitioners have. Um, and I guess I never really thought about how, right, gun safety and firearms education and and sort of the culture community. I mean, it, I mean, that's a, there's an opportunity, right, for faith-based practitioners to have a voice in Interesting. mental health and suicide prevention, especially in the context of, you know, I think a lot of religions, you know, I hate the, like that. A lot of organized religions t- tend to demonize certain behaviors. I mean, of course, like yes, if you if if you kill someone in an unjustifiable way, like right, right that's a sin. But like, but taking suicide, your life is a sin, right? Right. So this concept, right, suicide is selfish and it's a sin. Um, period. Period. Hard stop. Right. Like it's it's it shuts down conversation. conversation. Yes. Right. right. And there was some interesting threads around, right? How can, how can you know, faith-based practitioners be positive influences on helping people, right? Like surface this the stuff. inner tor- turmoil and, 
Right, because suicide prevention and mental health, right, they, they, there's a convergence, right. <laughs> which is Obviously. the name of the group, right? right? There's this convergence of opportunity, of, of, of resources, money, um, right, where we can make a difference, right? If <laughs> we can make a difference, if we focus our time, energy, and attention on these issues in a meaningful way, instead of constantly fighting and debating what our many intractable issues in the firearms space. So um, I am just constantly frustrated with how disproportionately we, 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 we talk about mass shootings and assault weapons bans when they account for the smallest percent of 1% of, of, of all firearms deaths. Those are facts. Right. So, you know, the, the facts that really stood out to me about 10 years ago after I won Top Shot and I started digging into the numbers there's about 40, you know, 40,000 deaths a year in, in America as a result of firearms. Two thirds of them are suicides. And we aren't talking about this. And it's a taboo subject. I mean, that's the other part. Like, this is the tough part. It's like talking about suicide is really uncomfortable. And if you're a gun owner and you're talking about, right, like if you have suicidal ideations, like that's even more com- uncomfortable. And, and it's, right, it's sort of this like, self-perpetuating mental trap right. that I think a lot of people get themselves yep. into. It's like, well, right. If I talk about the fact that I'm suicidal and I own a gun, like red flags, red flags, who's going to take my guns away. So practically speaking, a big part of the convergence um, experience was education, not legislation. Mm-hmm. And what can gun owners and non-gun owners do for people who are experiencing mental health crises. Mm. So one idea that like I hadn't really heard about, but it sounds so simple once you hear it is as a family member or a friend, if you know someone who's going through a mental health episode and they own a firearm and, and you know, you right. think that they're going to be a danger to themselves or others. I see where this is going. Yeah. You can ask if they will temporarily Give either give them your you know give you the give you their guns, mm-hmm. or this other concept in um, the Denver Colorado area in particular. There are which is a which is a gun free zone, <laughs> right? <laughs> but there's this concept of gun ranges and gun shops that will basically you can basically like store your store gun. your firearms there. That's- this is a great idea. Yeah, either temporarily. It's a service to the community. Yeah, or even on a permanent basis, I mean, right? look, look, man, I mean, I'm looking at this as a business opportunity, too. You're a mm-hmm. gun shop. People are coming into your store to store their guns for whatever the reasons are. There's opportunity there, like, and you're servicing the community, and you're helping a greater cause. I mean, there's just so many great things, but that's a brilliant idea. Yeah, and, 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 and so much, I think, of the, the discussion and the findings of this convergence group really surfaced around what are simple and obvious, but very difficult questions and conversations to have. So, you know, I, I, you know, here's, here's, here's this other idea and I, I've never had to do this. Right. But if, if you suspect, right, that someone that you know and love and care for is, uh, right. Maybe going to hurt themselves or, or or other, you need to ask, are you thinking about hurting yourself or, or someone else. That's a tough question. That's right? a really hard question right. to ask it's somebody. Maybe even a harder answer to get, right? Once would you receive that answer? Uh, yes. Now, but so another interesting piece was um, 
you know, would someone who is who would actually say yes, would, would they say no? I mean, of course, yes, there's going to be some people who would lie about it. But what we were told by the mental health practitioners is that most people are honest. Mm. If you if they're asked that question, they're going to be honest about it. Yeah, which I kind of was like, okay, like I that's not your wheelhouse, but yeah, yeah I get and, you a little bit, that, maybe a little. That, and that's the whole point. It's like I'm not a medical practitioner. I'm not in the mental health space, but these are the frontline people, right? Who are are out there doing the hard work, mm-hmm. right? This is this is their craft, and this is sort of the magic of the convergence group because, right, in the firearms space, like I'm a firearms expert. I know firearms, I know firearms culture, but I don't know about suicide prevention or mental health stuff, but right. Where can we work together? Right? So there's this group called the American foundation for suicide prevention. They have partnered with the NSSF, which is the national shooting sports foundation, Mm -hmm. which is the industry trade group for the industry whose members are gun shops and gun ranges and the firearms manufacturers. And so AFSP co-created suicide prevention pamphlets and content that is now in, you know, gun stores and gun shops, right? There's conversations, right? Maybe right. Slipping in a little, uh, you know, quarter sheet into uh, a gun case, right? right? If you buy a pistol or, yeah, into the shopping or whatever. bag or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, like with many things, uh, if, if, if you're armed with knowledge and you, you, know what you could do or should do in certain situations, then you're going to be more likely to do that thing. Right. And the thing is, right. It's like, I mean, like I said, like I, 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 I've not had any suicide prevention training. Like I never had any conversations with my family or I don't know, friends. Like, like, what do you do if someone is suicidal? That says you care that. About? Yeah. So you yeah. ask the question now, what? Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 Right. Asking the question or even, even seeing and understanding some of the signs. Right. Um, I mean, and this kind of goes back to the notion of, you know, how can we be better at taking care of not just ourselves, but right. Our friends and our family and people we care about and, and not just uh, picking up on those signs. Right. But yeah. Like what's the action, what's the plan? What are your options? You know, suicide prevention, uh, hotline, you know, phone number, text message, uh, groups that are out there too. Um, but uh, I, I'm excited for the convergence, you know, findings. We, we just announced it. And you know, now, now the hard work begins, mm-hmm. right? This is like. Now we take action. Yeah. And, and to be frank, you know, you would think that the notion of saving lives would be a top. universal. <laughs> top of priority list. Yeah. Thing. But, but um, there are some people who just, just either don't care, are skeptical of all of this and. Uh, well, I imagine if it doesn't suit their political agenda and or their financial agenda, it's probably not important for them either. Yeah, and uh, that's, and that's ridiculous. We're talking about saving people's lives on the. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's front. it's it's going to be an ongoing conversation, and there's this uh, initiative called Project 2025 that's put on by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, where they are aiming to reduce uh, the suicide rate by twenty percent. By 2025. So mm. that's a very clear objective goal that we're that we're trying to reach. And it's this is literally one of these things that the government's not going to do it for us. Mm. Other people aren't going to do it for us. Mm. We have to do this for us. So it's going to be hopefully, you know, a, a, a large 
educational campaign that's going to be sustained, hopefully, right, over over many, many years. Um, and yeah, I mean, thank you for having me on because, uh, you know, this is something that uh, I think is going to be meaningful. That's going to make a difference, right? And if we really want, if, if, if anybody really, really, really cares about reducing firearms deaths, we have to be addressing the suicide part as much as we're focusing on the hot, right, reducing homicides as well. Right. If you want to move the needle, you're going to have to do things differently, mm-hmm. right? Can't keep beating your head against the wall and expect a different result. It's just going to keep hurting. <laughs> oh, man. Chris, I mean, again, I'm so grateful to have you down here. This The conversation, uh, some of the insight to some things, there's been there's been so much there. Again, what you're doing and how you're doing it is inspiring. Uh, well, thank you. I'm I'm bought into the to the prospect of going to the next step on the NFT side of things. Uh, I thought I was before I came in, and you've confirmed that. And uh, you know today, and I just want to thank you for sharing the insight to the things that are happening that people haven't heard about yet. You know, on the back end, that there are people getting together at a larger level that are trying to bridge these gaps and hopefully that inspires people within the gun community and outside the gun community to think differently about doing the same and be on the lookout um, just because you've made them now aware of those, of those, those types of things. And again, bringing that higher level awareness then can bring some education and then can bring community. And, uh, and like you said, once you have a, a, a community like that, then people can be happier and healthier and let people do what they Indeed. need and want to do. <laughs> Man, thanks again. I appreciate you being here, bud. Appreciate it. I had a great time. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's see where the future takes us. Last thing I'd ask, if people want to find out a little bit more about you, a little bit more of the initiatives that you're a part of, the projects that you're working on, maybe contribute to those projects in some way. What is the best way for people to find out more and or get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have a website, topshotchris.com. My contact information's up on my website. And then on social media, uh, my handle's at topshotchris on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, and also Medium com, which is where I've been uh, writing a lot about NFTs. So if you're particularly mm-hmm. interested in, uh, uh, you know, hearing more about my NFT journey, Medium is the place where I'm, uh, yeah, publishing most of my writing about NFTs. So it's a, it's a good time. Right on. That'll be on the uh, on the regular daily read for me. I awesome. appreciate you, bud. Thanks again for coming down. Hope to visit with you real soon. Awesome. Thanks again. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Iron Sights. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can support our mission by hitting the subscribe button, leaving a review, and sharing the podcast with a friend. I'll see you on the next episode.